what sort of week have you had? Pretty good. Better than Daniel Sturridge's. He announced to the nation that he'd tweaked his rectum. So here's a question for you, Paul. Have you ever tweaked your rectum? I never have, and I am really upset that those words ever were put near each other. Uh, the only thing I thought was, is it some sort of reference to the time of the season where it's all a bit tense at the top? You know, the old squeaky bum time? Yeah, apparently the rectus is a muscle in the quadricep group in his thigh, and that's what's kept him out of the England game. But I did have a good chuckle about that one. Quite quite a lot of chuckles, in fact. Poor old Daniel Sturridge, not that articulate. And that apparently he's got a bit of a pain in the bum. <laughs> well, he does play with Luis Suarez. Boom! Get it! Boom! Humour! Right there. Some some top balance early doors on the rank cast this week. Are you saying that Luis Suarez is not only a racist, but a rapist? No, I'm just saying there's a pain in the bum. That's no. all. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a painfully libelous innuendo of the sort that I wouldn't make. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. The Fulham game, we were really good in the first half, again, and then not so good in the second half, again. Yeah, weird this pattern, isn't it? You know, it was it was pretty desperate stuff in the second half, I thought, from United. Just no fluency, didn't really get it going, got the goal. That's all that counts, I guess, from that kind of game. And I mean, we said last week it'd be a lot more difficult because Fulham are a, a completely different side at home, and they were. I wonder whether it's it's in their heads now. You kind of think that they just can't play away from home because they were not quite as good as they were bad the week before at Old Trafford, but they were a damn sight better. You know, a completely different team really gave United a a really good game. It was really open, wasn't it? It was like a cup game for for most of the fixture. Uh, But United came out on top, you know, got the goal. Waza with another one. That's what, scored in three games in a row now. He's on a run and that's great news for United. Yeah, we all know what that means, right? Because that's what he does. He goes through periods where he doesn't score and then he absolutely explodes into life. And I remain fascinated by the phenomenon that is Wayne Rooney. And actually, it was a goal born of the phenomenon that is Wayne Rooney too. A fearless Rooney of old goal, actually, that between the run and the finish just screamed confidence because he had a player square. I can't remember who it was, but he definitely had players square. And the way he kind of attacked the ball, it reminded me of Jordi Alba's goal in the Euros in the in the final because of just because of the way he kind of exploited the space um, and just sort of switched on freight train mode, didn't he? And flew at the ball and then an absolutely sumptuous finish from Rooney. Right, that's Rooney confident, full of confidence, isn't it? Used the player just to guide the ball into the corner. I thought he'd megged the defender at first, but he hadn't actually just bent it round the side. And I suppose you could blame the defender for turning his back. But it was all kinds of brilliant, I think, from Rooney that finish. Remarkably similar to a Ronaldo goal a few years back, I thought. And a few people mentioned this on Twitter as well. So what did we learn in the Fulham game, Ed? What did, what did we learn about our season? It wasn't half a microcosm of the season. I mean, by the end, United were kind of hanging on and there were four strikers on the pitch. What was that all about? Yeah, yeah what, what was that all about? I mean, it became very strange. I don't quite know how to describe the formation at the end. But yeah, clearly 4-2-4 would just about describe what we were playing at 1-0 up. I guess if you're going to win, you might as well win big or something like that. It's the weirdest 1-0 away win you'll ever see, you know, whereas most sides would try and shut it down with a couple extra defenders. Fergie decides to take off, admittedly, some pretty ineffective wide players and and change the shape of the the side and and put some strikers in uh, sort of wide positions. It's because he trusts Welbeck and really to do a job defensively when they needed to. Hernandez is always going to stretch the game and and you can't take Robin Van Persie off. It's the rule. 
Yeah, absolutely. And although, if ever there was a game where you could take him off, I mean, it's weird you say it's a microcosm of our season, but but Van Persie didn't score. Is that two games in a row Van Persie hasn't scored in? Yeah, sell him. He's rubbish. He's rubbish. Hold me, Ed. I'm scared. What do we do now? It's it's exactly like Berbatov and Rooney all over again. One of them scores so the other one doesn't have to. And what, what I thought was interesting was it was noticeable that Rooney was playing the furthest forward quite often in that game. I mean, obviously, the, the two of them are very fluid, the nine and a half thing. But it was it was noticeable to me, and I haven't looked at heat maps or anything clever like that to, to see whether I was right. But it did look to me like that that was what was going on. I think they were just being flexible. They are both nine and a half, as, as Van Persie put it. And, and Rooney's in great form, so he's getting into the right positions. I'm not saying that Van Persie's in poor form or anything like that, but yeah, hasn't scored for a couple of games. What a what a perfect time to, for Rooney to start hitting the back of the net. It, interesting for Rooney this week. He gave a, a, an interview about Danny Welbeck, in which he was defending Welbeck. Welbeck has scored, of course, once in 27 games this season and, and defending Welbeck because Welbeck's played wide a lot. And he said that there have been times when uh, he hadn't played up front for 10 games and, and hadn't scored and was getting a stick off the press. So uh, in, interesting, that one. And uh, Maybe it's just a natural rhythm of things with Rooney when he's scoring, he's going to get further forward. Or, or maybe he's getting further forward and scoring. Who knows? But I think they're both such intelligent players that they'll work it out. They'll they'll know when to come deep and and when to stay on the the shoulder. Now, of course, with the Madrid game coming up, you'd expect United to play a slightly different style. There, you'd expect Rooney to to sit quite a bit deeper. But we'll we'll, we'll get onto that game later in the show. But you know, in the end, United were just about good enough to win at Fulham, and and it's it's really important, especially given what happened on Sunday when City can couldn't beat Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible game that was. Like, set aside partisan loyalties for a second, uh, it was a pretty remarkable game of football that City and Liverpool played out amongst each other, wasn't it? You know, I often remember those being a particularly a classic because in recent years, Liverpool have kindly rolled over and let City get three points in order to help with the, the title push to keep our numbers down or something. No Gerrard back passes in this one, though. They, they look really up for it. They did, yeah, and then Gerard celebrated like a madman when, when he scored, I mean, a fine goal as well. Interesting, in the week that uh, Europol said that uh, 50-something matches across Europe had been fixed, and, and perhaps one of them in England, quite a few people pointed to Gerard's back pass against Chelsea as a, as a fix, yeah, we're, you know, and I think everyone was expecting one of those limp performances from Liverpool, because we've seen it quite a few times, haven't we, in these big games, but, but no, nope, they were well up for it, they, they played pretty well, in the end it took a remarkable goal for City to equalise, I felt kind of dirty, actually, I wouldn't say celebrating, but feeling, my Hardly pleased that City were losing. As much as uh, it's easy to dislike the Scouse filth, been dipping granny stabbing grave robbers that they are, allegedly, I couldn't help but wanting United to keep that points gap as, as big as possible. It was fantastic that Liverpool managed to hold on for a point because I think the way the momentum of that game shifted, it would have been really, really a big lift to City if they'd come back and won that game and and the fact that they didn't really does speak volumes you wrote a really interesting piece on the title race this week Ed you were sort of saying that it's only uh, it's only hubris if United don't end up winning the league is what you said last season so that that made it hubris of course but it, there is an odd feeling of complacency around the the place I've, I've seen a few people mention the fact that the fact that we blew it last season makes it less likely that it's going to happen this season I, I think that's got to be true hasn't it well, the Ides of March have not come yet. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be true in, in that there's got to be. You'd think a greater level of focus because the focus seemed to drop in those last six games last season. 
Having said that, you know, if squeaky bum time is going to hit and things do go a bit pear-shaped, do we have the right experience? Do we, are we able to hold our nerve? I can't believe that United would panic. And the only, the only thing that gives me some you know, ill ease is that it's twice in the last few seasons that United have, have lost a very large lead. It wasn't quite the same against Chelsea, but Chelsea were a long way back and came through to win the title, helped by a certain linesman for, for which uh, Ferguson has is, uh, is been charged by the FA. But after last season's sort of calamity in the last six games you, you do wonder whether that will kind of translate itself into the psyche I've heard lots of good stuff coming out Ferdinand ever saying things like we're only f- focusing ourselves you wonder whether that's just trying to talk a good game and actually at the back of their mind they are worried about City but but look on form United are picking up loads of points you know unbeaten in what 12 games now or something like that and, and City still dropping points despite a good month or so in January they, they are still falling behind United and that's that's really good and you look at the fixture list and Everton coming up at the weekend but after that what is it it's, it's QPR Villa Reading Sunderland there are a whole bunch of winnable games before United play City again yeah well this season though we've looked better against better sides not to you know use something which I guess is a bit of a cliche in football commentary terms but you know we we actually have raised our game in the big on the big occasions and really United's banana skin that your United's kind of weak point in terms of complacency has come against the sides that they expect to beat comfortably I think the addition of Van Persie clearly means that there is actually more room for complacency of course it's very destructive to elite sporting attainment but still there's more firepower essentially so so when when the team does get complacent there's there's more there to kind of drag them out of that rut but also you do have to imagine that the pain of last season and the way it went down will mean that that complacency will be the furthest thing from United players' minds. Interesting talking of noises coming out of the sides. Uh, last season, of course, Mancini was all, no, he's over, he's over. But this season, him and Joe Hart both talking to the press today, this week, saying, no, oh, City is still in the title race, City is still in it. I don't know why he turned cockney when he was saying that they were still in it. But you know what I mean? It's a, it's the exact opposite story. And I'm like, what are you doing, lads? The most basic mind games worked so well last season. Can't believe you're not trying to pull the, pull the same trick off again, get United all complacent. Well, quite... Yes, I mean, I guess uh, Mancini's got other things in mind, hasn't he? Because there's a, there's a decision coming from the Middle East about whether he keeps his job or not. Yeah. General consensus is he's dead man walking and uh, he's gone, whatever happens. Was job is no job no more. Yeah, quite. There, there may be a certain manager from uh, United's next European opponents available in the summer. Uh, absolutely. So, the game against Fulham is the only game that United have played, um, but you mentioned Fergie getting charged by the FA. He's contesting the charge, of course. He is. Well, his argument is that he was simply having an opinion, which you're allowed to do, and, and not suggesting that the lino was biased. I couldn't possibly comment. Dirty bent lineman. <laughs> You're going to get an FH charge and have to do the rank cast from the stands on that little phone of Sir Alex's. It makes no difference, does it, to managers? So does it really... Is there any evidence? Okay, come on, you stats nerds out there. Show me evidence that statistically size perform worse than normal when their manager's in the stands. No, is he allowed to talk to players at half-time? He's not, is he? 
He is, he is. It's just not in the European games. Right, okay. In the European games, they're not allowed anywhere near the touchline, not allowed any kind of communications. Of course, Wenger got stung by that one when he was on the phone to his bench. And Mourinho was taken to sitting in a hotel room instead because uh, when he's had European bans, because he, he doesn't feel he can have any influence sitting in the stand. Interesting stuff. I mean, actually, I don't think Fergie was making an accusation of bias. I think he was making an accusation of incompetency in key decisions. That's... Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, I don't know whether he was or not. Who knows? He, he he may have just been sort of furious. There was there was talk at the time that he was trying to distract attention after the the Spurs won one. But you know, I I wasn't totally convinced by that. I felt this was a bit more Fergie just literally trying to express his own frustration, sort of thing. Uh, but anyway, when when do we find out whether that ban comes into effect? Within the next 14 days, because the FA work really swiftly. <laughs> um, yes. And you mentioned, and I think it was last week that you said that, that, that football was the worst run sport in England. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, it feels like that might be true. But on the other hand, I have no honest sense of how well or incompetently Crown Green Bowls is run in England, for example. Oh, it's, it's a slick operation, let me tell you. The multi-billion dollar contracts they win. The official, I don't know, uh, weed killer partner of the Crown Green Bowls Association. Hey, talking of weed killer, what's going on with the Old Trafford pitch? Yeah, it's a complete mess, isn't it? I mean, I know there's been a lot of rain uh, this year, this winter, and it's uh, it's really messed up the pitch. Ferguson says it's tired, maybe it needs a bit of a rest, maybe it needs a four-day break in Qatar, a bit of warm weather growing, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to replace it in the summer, but f- but for now it doesn't look great, does it? It's not, and 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 of course it's provided Fergie with a nice excuse for for some yeah you know, average performances. Yeah, it certainly has, and you know it's it's pretty bad timing because we're the the slickest we've been for quite a while, aren't we? As a, as a, as a unit, so it's it's bad time to for the pitch to let the side down, and it really does remind me of the nineties. You know, we've got four strikers scoring hatfuls of goals, letting hatfuls of goals in, and we've got a terrible, bobbly, muddy pitch again. It's it's old school, no good at all. No, although you know we won a treble in the nineties, so it might not be all that bad. In order to win a treble, I guess we'll do this. We don't normally do the show in exactly this order but I can't wait any longer Ed the Everton game I don't really know what to say about it other than than Everton are are a good side and they obviously caused us massive problems I, I, I had a quick look I happened to be reading an article on the Sky website and they had the Sky bet odds and Everton were four to one to win at Old Trafford and a draw was three to one both of which seem to be very long odds to me given that although United's form has been excellent Everton are a, a very very fine side not in bad form themselves Right, and in a two-horse race as well. Although Sideshow Bob is injured, apparently, so that's a, that is a huge boost for United, given how many problems he's caused United over the last few games. I mean, Old Trafford last year and at Goodison on the opening day of the season. Yeah, it seems like another lifetime, that game, doesn't it? It definitely, the season that we're having did not seem to be the one that was set up by that game. All our worst fears about the season seem to be playing out in, in that game, and it, it definitely hasn't come to pass that way. And Fellaini, who of course many people would like to see in a red shirt with that luxurious head of hair poking out of the top of it. Right, exactly. Who do, who do we have to Fellaini to get him to Old Trafford? <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know whether that's going to ever happen. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be something that's talked about seriously. Well, what do you make of that? 
No, I don't think it'll happen because since Everton sold Rodwell to City for a remarkable 15 million, they're in uh, less dire straits financially, so they didn't need to sell Baines or Fellaini. I suspect that Fellaini is is really keen to move to a big side and and Everton will hold out for the maximum amount of money they can possibly get and they'll extract that money from City or Chelsea. You know, they, they won't get anywhere near the sort of 30 million mark that they'll probably be looking for for him from United. So I don't think that will happen. I suspect bet if I was a betting man that it'll end up at Chelsea in the summer. I, I kind of hope that, that there's still somehow room for United to get in because it does feel like he would really offer us something different and something that we don't have. Although that game where he elbowed, punched and headbutted Ryan Shawcross all in the same game sort of slightly put me off him. Although I know there's a, a lot of United fans that that wouldn't be a problem for. Not Shawcross, but, you know, just someone nasty. A lot of United fans wish we had more nasty players in the side. Let's be honest, we don't have any complete evil bastards in the side, do we? Van Persie's got a bit of it in him, no doubt about it. Those elbows fly pretty freely when they need to. There's a crucial element of United player. Okay, so you can say talent and flair and the kind of quality and all of that kind of stuff, but unless they're instantly hated by every other football supporter, I think they're a proper United player. So it's it's a key test, and I think Fellaini at United would be hated uh, for many reasons. But uh, anyway, I don't think it'll happen. I think it's a great thing because of his quality that he's not at Everton, and of course it reduces Everton's game plan because they did tend to launch it long, and that caused United all sorts of problems and they won't be able to do that. They'll, uh, you know, Jelovic is a completely different type of, type of forward player. Not that Flaney is a natural forward by any means, but they certainly used him in that way in the, the last game between these two sides. And it swings the uh, swings the tie, you know, well in United's favour, in my opinion. I mean, uh, we, we mentioned the concept of transfers. I guess that the, the transfer window has slammed shut since we last recorded a podcast. No really significant movement that's going to affect us or our direct rivals, was there? I mean, the the one transfer which a lot of people have made, uh, obviously we signed Sahar, which we, we knew would happen, but the the one thing that people have made a lot of hay about, no pun intended, is that Begovic will be leaving Stoke in the summer as they've signed Jack Butland, and De Gea might be replaced by Begovic, which seems genuinely ludicrous to me. I don't want to go on off on yet another De Gea rant, but worth pointing out that I thought he was possibly even man of the match against Fulham making an absolutely staggering save by Ruiz which did not fit the media narrative enough to be mentioned by oh I don't know anyone in the media yeah full absolutely full stretch the tip of his longest finger and uh, just managed to flick it onto the post brilliant save but no it's it is of course not a story that a United keeper does well Begovic Never thought of him as anything other than a decent, but uh, no better than decent keeper. I don't think he's United quality, and uh, I honestly can't see United spending £15 million, which is the figure being quoted, on him. Doesn't make any sense to me at all. He's uh, he's hopped around a few clubs, uh, middle-ranked clubs, because he's a middle-ranked goalkeeper. Yeah, and, and you know, the Fulham game was was really interesting because De Gea's come in for so much stick lately and obviously made that mistake early on the week before and uh, against Southampton and that, you know, you could argue that it would have been very difficult for him to do anything else. But, you know, I think it's certainly, a, at the very least, it looked like a howler. It had the energy of a howler to it even though it probably wasn't one when you break down the analysis closely. But yeah, it was really interesting to see just how confident he looked. He just looked really assured, and he was kind of demonstrating his brilliant best in that game a couple a couple of times, or a couple of very good saves, and one, yeah, truly outstanding, outstanding save. 
Right, as we were on transfers, other transfer news, Balotelli has left Manchester City. I mean, I don't know whether that's a big blow for City, really, because he, he's hardly played this season. He's, he's, he went to Milan for 22 and a bit million euros, turned up in Milan, and Silvio Berlusconi's son, who's a vice president at Milan, has described him as the family's little nigger, quote-unquote, which, frankly, is pretty disgraceful. I, I, I know Balotelli's a, a bit of a nutcase, but he doesn't deserve to be racially abused in that manner. No, and, you know, the the whole bit of a nutcase thing I think it's like it's all very well to be like oh yeah he's an idiot but no he's a a young man with some pretty significant issues caused by his upbringing and astronomical superstardom at a very young age in very difficult circumstances it's you know the lack of empathy is always staggering in these situations yeah exactly he's a nut job it's very nice for me that he's gone to Milan and I can be pleased when he scores instead of like, oh, that's, that's working against us if he scores. And it's interesting, you say might not make much difference to City, but I think you could say that his lack of performances this season have definitely made a difference to City. Like, he was a crucial part of City's success last season. Well, this is very true, right? This is very true, and, uh, but he's just not trusted. Of course, he let them down on plenty of occasions as well, and then there's that huge row about him paying or not paying fine for uh, I think he lost 10 matches last season through suspension which is really frankly ridiculous and you'd expect to be fined I mean if you didn't turn up at work because you couldn't be bothered or you got in trouble with the police or something or whatever you know it's not a direct analogy of course uh, but you'd expect to be losing your job let alone getting a fine so it was the least that he could expect and then then of course the blazing round the on the training ground pitch with Mancini played out in public because City haven't been able to plant a load of tall trees around uh, their version of Carrington uh, whereas United have you know they're, they're poli- all police state about keeping the press out of uh, our Carrington aren't they so it's all been dirty washing in public with Balotelli and finally the club lost patience you know I know, I know Mancini was saying through the window they're not going to sell him they're going to give him another chance but behind the scenes they were doing their very very best to sell him they made a decision uh, a few weeks ago and he was going to go and, he, and he's gone and they got good money for him given how much trouble he's caused but he's such a good player he's so good i don't i don't get the kind of you know oh he's 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 more you know like gaza that there's lots of comparisons with gaza because of the behavioral side of things but people always like say oh yeah but gaza was a real genius I, like I, balotelli on his day is easily 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 one of the best in the world yeah i've got gaza in my deadpool at work Oh, that's really not nice. I'm joking. I, f- I feel sorry for Gaza. See, he could have saved his career and many other things if he'd, uh, he'd gone to Old Trafford. See, that's interesting because I'm, I'm not at all convinced, but I think that's a really tidy way of describing the situation. But I don't think Sir Alex Ferguson has got a miracle cure for crippling alcoholism. You know, I'm not sure that Sir Alex would have would have removed that from the picture for Gaza. But anyway, like, you know, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite convinced by that idea that somehow if he hadn't gone to Tottenham because Terry Venables bought him a house, it would have all been fine for Gaza. One other player that didn't make it to Old Trafford, Ronaldinho, made his uh, 100th cap for Brazil on Wednesday against England. Also said this week that United would have won more European Cups if he had joined instead of uh, Ronaldo in 2003. Lots of different things. The, The first thing is that if he had joined instead of Ronaldo, I don't think we'd have won any more European Cups. But if he and Ronaldo had both joined, which actually since the, the Ronaldo deal was sort of in the works, then yeah, we'd still be the best team. 
Yeah, well, for for four years, Ronaldinho was absolutely amazing at Barcelona. You know, let, let's not whitewash over that. He was he was absolutely fantastic. Scored so many goals, just the joy to watch all over the pitch. You couldn't really describe him as as playing any one kind of position. You played know, about six for Barcelona, and then he went completely off the rails and has had a resurgence since going back to Brazil. Yeah, absolutely, Brazilian Player of the Year last season. A proper proper joy to watch, isn't he, Ronaldinho? Yeah, he's. A, I mean, especially that time he lobbed semen. That one, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. No, n- not that I enjoy watching that every time I see it on repeat and again and again and again. I, I have to say though, Ed, the two of us were together when that happened in real life. I don't think you were particularly happy at the time. I I deny it. I deny it all. <laughs> yeah, you were a Brazil fan growing up, weren't you, Ed? Edinho. All right, talking of uh, talking of Edinho, we have a question from a listener about nicknames. Zup zup. Ed, Paul, hope you're well. Great show as always. Jack Holt here, a.k.a. Jack K. Holt on Twitter. Don't forget that K, or it's just some bloke in Canada. Question. The baby-faced assassin, Chicharito, Captain Marvel, King Eric, Chucky, Sparky, the Irish Lionel Messi, Satnav, Waza, Burba, Ando, Giggsy. United players have had various nicknames throughout the years, some pretty good and some pretty rubbish. My question to you is, if you two played for United, what would your nicknames be and why? Cheers, guys. Well, there you go. I've given you mine. What, what? So, so you'd you'd be Edinho, would you? Do you think you really? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think I'd be the the lanky fella, or, or or the total lack of talent fella. Yeah, I, I would definitely be. My nickname would be fat and rubbish. I'm pretty sure. Doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? I, I used to be a keeper, uh, so I'd be you know kind of flappy hands or something like that. <laughs> Ed Taheya, that, that's what they'd call you. They'd call you Ed Taibi, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm sure I would invite unfair comparisons with the fitness levels of Anderson at his worst. So, talking of questions from listeners, obviously the Madrid subject is a big one, and we'll come on to a detailed preview of that shortly. So, in the meantime, let's do some ridiculous stuff. At Happy Hero says, since Rio is tweeting his hashtag five a day, what's your hashtag five a day? What, what's it, how do you get your five a day, Ed? Anywhere I can get it. Okay. Mine tends to be almost entirely in vegetables. So I'm a big, big fan of you, you green leafy vegetable. See, I, so I work about 900 hours a week. In fact, that, that's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> but we have, a, we have a fruit tray at work, so I get some fruit. Otherwise, I wouldn't eat all day. That's good. Some fruit, fruit's good. How much of a loss, asks at Coomberson, is Phil Jones to shingles? It's a huge blow! Huge, as the mirror said. He's not a loss to shingles, he's a gain to shingles, he's a loss to Manchester United. Yeah, it looks like he'll be out for a couple of weeks. Bad luck for Phil Jones, who's just coming back and and making a contribution to the side, but frankly he's made very little contribution to the side this season because of injury, not his fault, I suppose. Bit worrying actually how many injuries he's getting because there was a time when uh, you know his leg would fall off and he'd jump up and go well it's only a scratch and throw himself into another tackle but it seems to have taken a toll he played an awful lot of games in his first season with United and with Blackburn before that and uh, you know you worry that some burnout has come into play here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, in a way, players can get bad luck, like you can get ill and what's how you know doesn't make you injury prone if you get shingles. No. There's something incredibly Lancastrian sounding about the fact that Phil, Phil Jones has got shingles. Well, that wasn't a Lancastrian accent, but you know what I'm saying. He'll have the consumption next <laughs> yeah. week and then, and then gout the week afterwards. Exactly. 
at Shino underscore X13, the Rankcast's video game correspondent for this week, points out to us that EA Games have made David De Gea part of their team of the week this week. So someone somewhere is paying attention to how good De Gea is, even if it's only the good people of FIFA, the video game. There's no actual good people at actual FIFA. And this is a really scary question. At Vida MUFC asks... Given our goalkeeper rotation early in the season, and then defensive and now midfield injury problems, are we in for a forwards implosion? I'm, I'm not sure you can say the word crises. No, I don't think so. I mean, even if we did get a couple of injuries, there's plenty in reserve. I mean, given how United play, really only needs to play one forward up front and, and someone in behind. So uh, I think we're safe, you know. I think we could get three injuries and it'd still not be a complete disaster. It'd be pretty bad, but you know, United would cope. So I think I think we're all right. It, Jones is bad luck, but apart from that, it's, it's a pretty fit squad at the moment. At Willsey Millich asked a question which I don't know if he's serious or not. I think he is serious. Why did Sir Alex Ferguson never sign Nick Barmby? So much talent wasted at mid-table clubs. Sir Alex would have got the best out of him. I've never heard anyone ever uh, advocate that we should have signed Nick Barmby at any point. Have you? No. Uh, interesting, there was, a, there was a nice piece with Matt Janssen. I don't know whether you remember him, former Crystal Palace player and Blackburn, who was at Palace and, and uh, United bid for him, in fact, actually twice uh, through his career. Tried to get him to Old Trafford. He turned United down both times, uh, thinking that he'd get more game time playing elsewhere. Of course, he had uh, some terrible bout terrible bad luck was in the provisional squad for the 2002 World Cup and, and fell off his bike in Italy and got quite badly injured and so he didn't go to the World Cup and it was never quite the same again. Yeah, I remember signing him every time I started a new game as Manchester United in the first football manager after they rebranded from championship manager. He was brilliant in that. Clearly that is the gold standard of whether a player is any good or not. Yeah, it's called the Bakayoko standard, we know that. What do you think, asks at Mickey Nooms, of our upcoming tour ending in Japan? Is it a sign of more players or investment in Japan? Hashtag Kagawa, hashtag Rankcast. Hashtag Japanese paints. Well, look, it's, it's, it's a sponsorship tour, as always. Aren't they playing in every single Asian country known to man? I'm not sure they're playing in Myanmar. I bet they would if there was some sponsorship going there. United love a mobile phone network, don't they? Half the sponsors of mobile phone networks. Their first 3G phone network in uh, Myanmar is just being built. I-, I was reading the other day. There you go. Prime sponsorship location. Get, get in with uh, the hunter. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, an evil dictatorship. Perfect for Manchester United. Talking of corruption, at Rough Estate, mate, clearly one of the best people in the world, asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how stupid do you think fans who believe match-fixing is limited to countries other than the UK are? Yeah, 11. Betting is global. Uh, betting and, uh, of course, another uh, big topic of discussion this week on, on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, doping. Both global industries, is that the right word? Uh, and football is not immune. In fact, football is one of the worst at tackling both of these the only reason we haven't seen it more often, uh, haven't seen um, more players kicked out or charged, is because the authorities have done very little about it. The allegation is that uh, match-fixing took place in a Champions League game played in England, and uh, the, the pretty decent, credible sources have uh, alleged it's a game which Liverpool played Debrecen of Hungary. And obviously, match-fixing is not a funny subject, but the fact that Debrecen were play- paid to throw the match and Liverpool could only beat them 1-0, there's definitely something funny about that. Well, have you seen Liverpool recently? 
Yeah, well, this was, you know, this was not that recently. It was Liverpool in the Champions League, so... Ah, yes, the crucial fact. So, very sorry about that, just uh, slipped my mind. It's like a period piece, isn't it, Liverpool in the Champions League? Uh, you know, as soon as as soon as that stuff started coming out, and you're thinking, oh, please don't let it be United, you know? Kind of assume that, that United have not won the league because of betting practices. You kind of assume that the way it works is that games with much less riding on them are actually the ones which are more likely to be thrown because players are much more vulnerable to, you know, taking the money in a meaningless game, you'd think. There's a, there... Well, quite, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And players getting paid 100 grand a week don't need to try and throw a game. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Just don't need the money. There's no point risking it. I mean, it is more prevalent in, I, I would assume it is more prevalent in sports like you know, cricket and snooker where actually the top players don't get paid the millions a year and the middle rank rank players are are so poorly paid they actually have to take second jobs you know they're more vulnerable to that kind of betting uh, syndicate and football um yeah the lower level i'm sure that's true too because of course you can bet on anything these days you know and and you you can bet in play and you can bet on the under 12s match in the hungarian third division you know south conference women's blind league yeah, listen, but that league is clean as anything. There's some proper sports people in that league. Some absolute hard f***ers as well, let me tell you. But people that play bone football are serious. That's that is a that is that is not a sport that you would you would not want to mess with a blind footballer. I don't think there's there's a certain fearlessness needed to be good in that sport. The the other thing that's come up a lot recently, of course, is doping. The Lance Armstrong case and lots and lots and lots of links with football in Spain, in particular, being alleged. Uh, uh, some very interesting stuff on Twitter about, about that, but none of which I know whether it's true or not. But if it is true, you'd really worry. And and one of the things that was talked about was the kind of miraculous uh, stamina-packed performances from older players that seem to kind of defy the ageing process, like Zidane coming back to his peak in the World Cup semi-final and things like that. And then, of course, he did flip out and headbutt someone in the final, so not entirely uh, inconsistent with the sort of performance-arncing drug side effect, that, is it? Allegedly, let's let's just say, you know, for the, for the lawyers listening. Yeah, and I don't want to hear any anyone slagging off Jack Wilshere either, you know. I, I draw a line at that one, it's no joke. Um, listen, it's not allegedly because I'm not making an allegation. I'm just yeah, allegations like that have nothing to be sniffed at. <laughs> not sure in old Jack's case that that that, that the, the, the the I don't know what you're talking about. Allegations were particularly performance related, were they? His lawyers will blow you away. Let me tell you. Uh, um, so, are you saying that Jack Wilshere has been taking cocaine while injured, Ed? No, I don't know where'd you get that from. God. Okay. Just checking. Stop this line of questioning. That's ridiculous. What do you think about the doping? The doping in football, especially, I'm especially talking about in the football that that we watch and cover. Do you do you think there's been United players who've doped in the last twenty years? No idea. Really don't. I mean, there's random testing, uh, as Rio Ferdinand very well knows. There's uh, out of competition testing, but it's nothing like as rigorous as, say, in cycling now, you know, and that uh, was one of the most doped up sports or, or athletics. The uh, the random testing uh, uh, is given by notice. They don't turn up at your house at six in the morning just demanding it. And, and given the international nature of football, that would be pretty impossible anyway. You know, so uh, I'm quite sure there is doping. I- I'd be really surprised if it's if it's um, uh, widespread in football, but maybe not. I, a few years ago, no one would have thought that Lance Armstrong had been doping for ten years straight, would they? So 
Well, except for the people that were banging drums and waving flags and saying, look, Lance Armstrong's doping, how can you people not see this sort of thing? But they were, they were laughed at. If there's no smoke without fire, then smoke seems to be wafting around in Italy and Spain at the moment. But someone will get caught for, for doping. One, one day the money uh, will tempt a team into trying something systematic, for sure. It would be mad, wouldn't it? But, you know, who knows? I mean, we've already seen betting close down leagues in Turkey and uh, South Korea. You know, if, if it's organised to that scale in, in two you know, pretty advanced countries, then, then, you know, so would doping be too? Yeah, absolutely, and all, all that stuff's really unseemly, and it's sort of, it's sort of, I find it particularly galling because, you know, I, I know it's really naive and, and not the thing that most people care about, but sportsmanship is more important to me than the consequence of the sport, you know, but the conducting of the act is more important than the outcome of the act you know the manner in which the act is conducted is more important than the outcome i would rather support a team who behaved decently and lost than behaved indecently and won but i know that that's not necessarily a majority view um, for some people winning comes at all costs i mean it's interesting the ravens won the super bowl and and you know i was sort of jokingly supporting the ravens because of the wire it's not a particularly well informed <laughs> reason but you know there we go that's that's how it was but you know they got players indicted on murder charges and loads of allegations of performance enhancing drugs and all that kind of stuff you look at nfl players and you can't help but wonder can you well, and that's where the strength and the power really does come into it, doesn't it? Yeah, but just thinking, one one superhuman player who would be a prime candidate for a bit of doping, if you thought that thought of, sort of thing went on, uh, Mr. Ronaldo, a, a superhuman specimen, will be facing United very, very shortly for Real Madrid. Uh, he scored last weekend. He always scores. Problem this time, it was in the wrong net. It's the first own goal of the boy Cristiano's career. It would never have happened under Sir Alex. Never did happen under Sir Alex, clearly. It's all going downhill. Slippery slope this is. Yeah, is there any way that we could get him banned for three matches from doping between now and next Wednesday? Yeah, if with any luck. Should we start a campaign? He's rubbish, <laughs> and He's rubbish. He only scores at more than a goal in game. The first leg is, of course, in Madrid, so that the emotional homecoming for the boy Cristiano will hopefully be taking place when they're 5-0 down from the away leg. Absolutely, yeah. Is that your prediction for the week? Because Cristiano uh, turned 28 this week, you know, it's, he's no longer a boy. Messi announced that he'd turn 29 shortly afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a boom boom tish. Yeah, very, very, very good there, Ed. Yeah, so after we, I mean, I guess the fact that the Madrid game's coming up significantly influences the, the nature of the team against Everton, and I think probably makes it likely that the Everton game is even more of a tough challenge than it would have been otherwise. What kind of lineup is he going to put out against Madrid, Ed? As strong as possible, I hope. Yeah, but what what does that mean? He's not going to have a, a tombola moment. Is, it, is he not? Is play Raphael up front. It's, it's interesting because he's got to play Rooney and Van Persie, hasn't he? You know, it's madness not to. Uh, given uh, Real Madrid are points and points and points behind Barcelona, uh, they, they have played some great stuff this season, but it's blown hot and cold there. I think they're seven points behind Atletico. They're, they're going to give up on the league for sure. You know, it's not going to happen. All the eggs are in the European basket. But this is not the best Real Madrid side ever. The, the team is just not functioning yet. 
as we expected this season. They've got masses of talent, but they're there for the taking. But then again, they were there for the taking the last two times United played them and, and United went out really cautious. But we haven't played in a cautious fashion this season. It, it doesn't seem to flow with the, the narrative of the season that Ferguson would you know, drop one of Van Persie or Rooney for this game. I suppose he could shift Rooney into the wide positions and, and you'd say that there's a fairly high chance that Ferguson will play narrow. But I think if there's any if there's any negativity in the selection and the, the tactics for the Madrid game, it'll be that. You know, we won't play with Nani and Valencia. He'll end up playing with Rooney and Cleverly and Scholes and Carrick, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that sort of does make sense. One really, really fascinating selection dilemma to me is the, is the central defence because it was noticeable against Fulham that De Gea looked more relaxed, the the unit functioned more effectively. Uh, you know, Vidic and, Vidic and Ferdinand give a certain sense of solidity in themselves, but Ferdinand playing with Evans just looks just looks absolutely magnificent to me and it definitely De Gea there's no question De Gea plays better when Ferdinand's on the pitch and that that I'm absolutely convinced about that it might be nonsense but I'm convinced about it yeah it's a big call but if they're all fit then he'll go with Ferdinand and Vidic because that's the experience and I'd probably just about go with that one that's hard on Evans because he he has played really well recently in and out of the side because of injury but not form you know when he's when he's playing well, he's in the side, isn't he? But you'd probably go for the experience. But it's a, it's a really, really tough call. The rest of the defence is interesting because obviously De Gea will play because he's completely lost faith with Lindegaard post that Reading game. Everett will definitely play. At right back, you'd say Raphael will play because he's been so good this season. But they might go with Smalling and move Raphael ahead. They'll definitely be worried about Ronaldo who plays off the left at Madrid so there's a couple options there it's Smalling and Raphael if you want to go really negative or it's Raphael and Valencia because he can trust Valencia to do a really good defensive job and of course he's got the pace and the power to cope with Ronaldo although Valencia is not offering much in an attacking sense at the moment yeah, you wonder. We we had a, a really uh, interesting question, which I which I I thought I'd pick your brains about because you watch an awful lot more Spanish football than I do. It's from Matheus Zemret asking, what player from Real besides Ronaldo do you think we need to keep an extra eye on? He would say Özil for sure, but you know if you look at the level of talent in that side, they are not short of a player or two that we've got to keep an eye on, are they? Yeah, does Özil definitely start? Because, I mean, of course he's a wonderful player, but he hasn't always started for Madrid this season. Modric has played in uh, quite a lot of games uh, in a forward position, you know, more forward than we're used to seeing him in the Premier League. Uh, He was voted the worst import uh, at Christmas, Uh, not had a great first half of the season, Um, but either of them will be dangerous. Di Maria can cause all sorts of problems when he plays. Benzema not having his best season with Madrid. He had a really fine season last season, but uh, can still cause some damage. There's, there's talent all over the pitch, you know, but there's something not quite right in the, in the kingdom of Denmark there. And, uh, you know, especially with the relationship between Casillas, who's, of course, injured, and Ramos and Mourinho, and that, that's caused a lot of problems. I mean, do you not think, though, that in a way this narrative is all perfectly set up for Madrid to fire on all cylinders and blow everyone away in Europe? Because they, they, they really do have nothing else to play for. So, you know, they, they, I almost feel like it's got to a point where you can't really judge them on their league form because they're not even trying. 
well, yeah, maybe, yeah, and and of course it is. It's all very focused on Ronaldo this season. I mean, he's he's scored all the goals. I think Higuain uh, and Benzema have got less than ten in the league, haven't they? You know, it's it's all about Ronaldo, and and that's a problem as well because obviously the opposition know that. So Granada did a very very good job of shutting down Real Madrid's attacking players last weekend when they won, and teams have found that out. They've worked that one out. So I don't think it's a. I don't think the problem is about lack of talent though there's a little bit of you know squad cohesiveness it's a problem with Real Madrid and a little bit uh, the shape hasn't always worked and, and perhaps there are a couple of new players introduced into the side in the summer that hasn't quite worked and Modric and SCN and uh, and so they're you know just minor minor problems but uh, it, it's had a real effect on their points tally this season. Yeah, and I mean, um, the, the fact that, you know, Mourinho has basically fallen out with Casillas and, and the Spanish element of the dressing room to a greater or smaller extent, it's a huge problem, and actually, it's a real indictment on Mourinho. I mean, I don't know what those players are like, maybe they're just impossible, but you'd think that part of his job was very much keeping on side with those sorts of players. It's politics at Real Madrid. You've got to keep all the senior players on side. I mean, Casillas is out, so probably can't cause as many trouble. Trouble. Uh, Ramos is out. I think Alonso's actually injured for this game as well. Or he's, he's certainly carrying an injury at the moment, which might cause something of a problem. So, you know, Madrid's not only are there some senior players not don't get on with with Mourinho, but they also might be out of these these games, and and so the balance of the side will be disrupted. That you know, who Madrid pick in midfield is not as obvious as it it was um, when everyone is fit. You know, obviously. Ronaldo plays uh, likely that um, Benzema starts in the in the forward position probably Di Maria plays as a sort of inverted winger but Mourinho likes to throw a curveball as well doesn't he and he's definitely got plenty of options there yeah and ultimately they've got Cristiano right and we know what it's like to have Cristiano in your side you can be misfiring you can be in trouble he'll dig you out of many many a hole and I, I you know I think United's defense there's no question we're going to struggle with him is there yeah, and and the risk, of course, is that there's too much focus. Like flies attracted to the sweet, sweet honey that is Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it's that, that could be a real problem. It, of course, it is with focal players like that, and United have to be very disciplined and and trust the players that are dealing with Ronaldo's area of the pitch to do that. I mean, he will start on the left and he will drift inside. So, can United cope with that tactical problem? Can they cope with the, the problem with whoever plays in the sort of the hole between midfield and and the forwards, I, I suspect it will be Ozil, but not necessarily so. Him, him and Modric have basically shared that responsibility this season. I'm pretty sure Benzema will go through the middle, and probably Di Maria wide, and maybe it's it's Kadira and and Sen sort of uh, holding the centre of the pitch. Either way, on paper that looks like a fantastic side. It just hasn't quite worked for them this season. Is it going to work? Like, what do you think? Let's let's start to lay our cards on the table. Like- I feel way more confident about this than I did when the draw was made. You know, United are playing really well. The balance is going to be key for United. I really hope that Ferguson doesn't go too defensive. It doesn't throw off the shape just to try and protect United's right flank because I know that will be a temptation but if he throws off the shape that United won't play well. And getting a nil-nil is not a good result because Ronaldo scores every game, right? So he's probably going to score at Old Trafford. The, the script is written, isn't it? I think United do need an away game. That tells me that we need to set up an attacking sense, play the natural game they're playing this season, which is to keep the ball. Keep the ball, keep it away from Real Madrid. 
Yeah, not a terrible counter-attacking side, though, of course, are they, Madrid? Not exactly short of weapons on a counter. Well, I, I don't mean throw four forwards onto the pitch, but it's it's about having the right kind of balance and the right kind of shape that we're, we're not immediately into a defensive position. It'd be very interesting to see if Rooney can maintain his form. Of course, he scored for England on Wednesday because he just can't stop scoring once he started. Uh, I don't know. He's not going to rest him against Everton. I know he often does, doesn't he? Because Everton and Liverpool games, Rooney doesn't tend to get the best out of Rooney. But when he's in this form, you can't cut up thinking he might just get a hatch against his old side well and it's old Trafford as well which does make a difference uh, Anton Alfie uh, asked us whether Madrid against United is the biggest club game in world football and he made a fantastic hair on the back of your neck standing up type video as a preview for the game which you, you must must much watch that if you want to get super super hyped for this one but it, just talking about it it's so incredibly exciting Manchester United against Real Madrid it really is. It really is. Hey, you, you, this this is what football is all about. I, I can't wait. It's going to be a brilliant game. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, of course, just so I'd mention this, I'm, I'm off to uh, the Barcelona and Real Madrid Copa del Rey second leg semi-final in, a, in 10 days time or so. Just thought I'd throw that in there, you know. Should be pretty good. Camp, Camp New, I, I like Snow Old Trafford, though. See if you can get Ronnie to uh, switch sides between legs. No. I will. I'll go and have a chat. Because the second leg's not for about six years, right? It's this stupid round of games where they play it over four weeks. Yeah, nothing to do with TV scheduling at all, is it? No, of course not. I mean, it is really, it is great. You get to see some really good games and stuff, but it's so kind of anticlimactic to have to wait such a long time between between legs. Yes, especially as we will be, what, six, seven nil up from the first one, just waiting to Madrid to give us a guard of honour at Old Trafford. (laughs) Ronaldo to bow down and like salute Robin Van Persie. Yeah, sign a contract with United on the pitch there and then. UEFA <laughs> <laughs> will give him a special dispensation because it's only right. <laughs> like in a friendly, he'll play one half for Madrid and one half for us, like Cheech did with that time when we played Chivas. Yeah, not likely, is it? So, so what is your prediction for the game? Oh, I just haven't got the blinking slightest foggiest clue of an idea. I, I just It seems like the most impossible game to predict because we are so widely varying in quality, wildly varying in quality, but we have successfully upped our game every time we've needed to this season. But then I think about the Madrid lineup. So part of me is really bullish and confident and excited and all that kind of stuff. And you think about the Madrid lineup and they're not playing that well, but their level of talent, the fact that they've got Ronnie, it's, they are ridiculously good you know come on a prediction <laughs> i think we're gonna beat everton 2-1 there you go you can't ramble on forever hoping to think they'll forget it everton 2-1 and real madrid one all there you go i don't believe that with any i have no idea i have no idea what the score is going to be between manchester i'm picking two numbers out of the air and saying one all well i'm absolutely deadly confident that uh united will beat everton one nil <laughs> And it will be nil-nil in Bernabeu. Two clean sheets in a row. And of course, as we all know, the Ber- the Bernabeu is never full. The Bernabeu is never full. Unless they're playing Man United. The Bernabeu is never full. What I would ideally like, basically my ideal result, would be for our fans to sing that for 90 minutes. 
not likely. But, uh, well, we'll be supporting United in their two big games. Um, I'm sure you will be too. I think we'll get two decent results out of the week. Can't really see United winning in Spain, but a nil-nil wouldn't be total disaster if that happens, if the prediction comes uh, right. It wouldn't be the best result either. But uh, there you go. Got to live in hope that um, United will do something in this game. I, I feel more confident about both these fixtures than uh, than I might have done uh, had results not gone our way over the last month or so. But United are playing well ish you know getting results uh, not so great against Fulham Southampton uh, but uh, you know churning out the results looking pretty solid there's reason to be hopeful I, I don't think Everton will be anything like they, they uh, would otherwise be with Fellaini out and I don't think Madrid are in the best state at all I love your optimism Ed it's uh, it's one thing that everyone's always associated with you of course is being really really accurate when it comes to your optimistic predictions about Manchester United you know, I'm sure that the, the long term Rantcast listener will be currently filled with a sense of dread and despair and all hope being lost because you're so sure we're going to win or at least you know not lose yeah but you know I, I there is plenty of cause for optimism and and basically ultimately where I come down on this is if you can't have fun watching Madrid against Manchester United you probably not they, you should probably try and learn to be able to do that because you know we might not beat them oh that was insightful no but you know what I mean it's it's true it's like um I don't I was about to say you're you cutting edge stuff I, I was there. gonna say like you're 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 doing football wrong or something and then I thought well no you know it's your right to watch football however you want and if winning is the be all and end all for you then you know that's that's fair enough but ultimately ultimately this is this is what this is the very pinnacle of the sport isn't it it's 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 two of the top five teams in the world playing each other it's it's maybe the two biggest clubs in the world playing each other it's you know it's certainly a very large number of the world's best players playing against each other and and it's super exciting and I'm really really glad that we're going into this at our kind of fighting weight you know we're not going into this having kind of slumped in the league over the Christmas period or whatever that that could have could have been the case you know yeah very good well as always Anderson will be his fighting weight don't expect him in, him to play but uh, there will be plenty of talent on show as you say and, and we'll see you next week absolutely if you want to get us in the meantime you can get me on Twitter at UTD Rantcast you can get Ed at United Rant leave us a review on iTunes all the stuff I say every week show page on unitedrant.co.uk facebook.com slash United Rant loads of people getting involved over there that's nice to see um, one day Ed will jump in over there as well I, I'm sure you just forget Facebook exists don't you Ed I do yeah I need my mate Zuck to remind me <laughs> um and if you want to make us as rich as zuck unitedrant.co.uk slash donate hasta luego
in mijn handen klepperende kastanjetten en de flamengo die stamp ik met mijn voet. Ik draag enkel Andalusische toiletten en op mijn hoofd staat een groot. 